This is the Lotox Life Podcast. If all the birds could fly right now, as high as me somehow, they could see all the things I've been dreaming of. These wings of mine flutter inside, they shimmy and they glide, breaking forth, crack the shell from this clockwork light. Hello and welcome to the Low Tox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show number 185. I'm absolutely thrilled to have Dr. Leila Masson back on the show, joining me today to discuss heavy metal toxicity, specifically in children, but you'll see as the interview goes on, this is absolutely critical information for middle-aged adults like me, 44, uh, to check in with and make sure we don't have heavy metal toxicity or uh, regular exposures to heavy metals because what the middle-aged people are doing is uh, working on our preventative health strategy for some of the degenerative diseases in the neurological area as we age where heavy metals are implied. So while Layla is an incredible integrative pediatrician and today she discusses children in her case studies and in presentations of symptoms, uh, it's absolutely not a show to be discounted for anyone. I really think everyone needs to hear this. Uh, it's the third time I've had Layla on the show. Uh, she's my son's integrative ped. I absolutely adore her work uh, with the Mind Foundation and with the many uh, lectures she's given over the years, uh, her incredible book on children and environmental toxin exposures. Uh, she's worked all over the world, and I think if you've not come across her work before and today's the first time you listen to a show with Layla, you have a treat of a couple of extra shows of back cataloguing to do. Uh, her show on nutrient def deficiencies and how they present in children uh, and the effects that they have is one of the most popular listened to shows of all time on our podcast. Uh, and uh, another one that we did a little bit later on, which was around focus and natural uh, healing strategies around focus and attention. So they're both really, really great ones to go back and listen to. But of course, today is all about heavy metals. Now, before I kick into that show, a couple of little things to share with you. One is, of course, that we still have for the rest of May a wonderful show supporter and a new brand and a, a Sydney-based brand uh, developed by naturopath um, Kerry Wood and Katie Henner. I'm oh, sorry, I just wanted to make sure I didn't mix up their first names and surnames, both being with a K. Um, but New Bar is the name of the brand and it's a solid form plastic packaging free hair and body care bars that are pH balanced, vegan, palm oil free, leave out all the nasties such as sulfates, parabens, petroleum byproducts and artificial fragrances. I actually really love the extremely delicate fragrances um, of natural essential oils and plant extracts that they use in the range. Uh, so, you know, sometimes when you use natural low-tox products, if you're still quite sensitive to intense smells, whatever the origin they are, you can still end up feeling like um, the, you might have a reaction in some way. I know we've talked about that in the groups, but these are extremely 
subtly centered. Uh, so if that's something important to you, yet another great reason to check out the range. I think they are the purest, uh, cleanest low-tox option when it comes to plastic-free personal care that I've come across. But not only that, it, it, they're also high performance. So we don't want to use things just because they're good for our health or just because they're good for the planet. The intersection where the, we have good for us, good for the planet, and performs the way we want our personal care to perform that's when we hit the jackpot. And I really do believe Nubar are one of those offerings. So I highly encourage you to go and check them out. I've been using the face cleanser that has just the tiniest little exfoliating um, component in there as well. And I just use it in the shower and I've had it for gosh, months now. Uh, I always test products before we agree to anyone supporting the show and to offering you a discount because I don't want anyone wasting their time or money and I want to make sure that we're recommending really, really great high-performance products, not just great low-tox products. Um, but I've had it for months and so economically there's also that benefit as well and a lot of people are watching their budget in a way that might be in an increased fashion during the uh, times of the pand pandemic or recovering from bushfires. Heck, we've had a hell of a lot of things thrown at us this year so far. What a way to welcome in a fresh decade. But uh, if budget is of concern for you, then I can t attest personally to how long these bars last. They're not those sorts of disintegrating turns into nothing after a few days um, soapy type products. They're really beautifully made to last. So um, I, I think, you know, given single-use plastic is often something uh, that our community shuns and multiple-use plastic is a factor in personal care. So uh, single-use plastic is popping up a little bit during this pandemic with maybe having to wear gloves if you're out at a particular shop. Uh, maybe you're having to use uh, wipes that come in packaging. There are all sorts of... Um, uh, insurances we're putting in place right now for a little bit of extra protection, which is completely normal. So looking at the grand scheme of things rather than chastising yourself, being mean to yourself with that meany pants inner voice uh, about that one or two things that you're doing that you would prefer not to be doing when it comes to using plastic, have a look at where you might actually be in a position of control and empowerment of where you can cut down. And this might be one of those things you want to check out. So Nubar have offered us 15% off your first order for the whole month of May. And your code, super simple to remember, is LOWTOXLIFE. So you can go and check out Nubar at N-U-E-B-A-R.com. Uh, and they have a Facebook page. You can join them on Instagram as well. Uh, but we've got all the details on the show notes as well. So just one more time, those details, 15% off your first order for the month of May using the code LOWTOXLIFE. And you only get to use it once. So grab a few things and try out the range properly. Uh, and the website is newbar, N-U-E-B-A-R.com. So enjoy that uh, wonderful, generous offer of 15% off. And I can't wait to hear what you guys 
think of the products. Uh, they're already making some waves with um, some beauty shortlist awards in the best zero waste product category. Uh, and I can't wait to see where this goes. Uh, the face wash I'm using, just in case you're um, wanting to know exactly which one I'm trying, uh, I tend to find that as I move into the cooler months, my skin can get quite dry. Now, certainly that is true being down in the country right at this minute. So the dry, mature face wash just gives you that extra bit of nourishment and it's actually just won the Editor's Choice Award. Uh, so that's pretty exciting and, uh, and I wish them all the best in this gorgeous new brand offering for the world. So that was one thing I wanted to mention. Second thing I wanted to mention was, of course, our Lotox Club. We've 2.0 rebooted it and the feedback has been overwhelmingly awesome. Thank you so much to all the clubbers who have joined us. It is one teeny tiny annual membership payment of 49 Australian, which is like 30 bucks American, uh, US, I should say, uh, and about 27, 28 euro and about 25, 26 pounds. So very, very low cost because I want everybody to feel like they can jump in and join us. Um, you get your monthly club perks. We're just about to put uh, the whole uh, membership onto an online platform that you can log into so you don't have to trawl through your emails or the Facebook group to find your perks. And you have, of course, a wonderful private Facebook group that is not a public group that just anybody can join, which means you don't get spammed with people trying to sell you stuff or let me PM you the details and all that kind of jazz. And of course, you don't have any trolls or people being mean. It's a super supportive, gorgeous group. I do a monthly Q&A. We sometimes have some extra bonuses. We do group boosts in there. So just a little three-day heightened awareness around a different theme each month. And this month, all of the club perks are around where frugal meets low-tox life. So food, body, home, mind, how we can apply the true and beautiful definition of what it is to be frugal to leading a low-tox life. You've got recipes in there, all sorts of fantastic resources, and I can't wait for you to jump in. As soon as you join, you get emailed your downloads uh, and enjoy. So that's all I had to tell you today. Uh, you can um, actually, I should tell you that you can join via lowtoxlife.com forward slash the hyphen low hyphen tox hyphen club forward slash or again, you can just check out all the details in today's show notes. So please do enjoy now this excellent practical look at heavy metal toxicity, what it shows up as symptom-wise, how to test for it, and what to do if you are found to have high levels. So uh, I found it extremely practical, and I know so many families out there are going to potentially benefit from this. So if you know someone who's having challenges, pediatric challenges in particular around behavior, uh, perhaps children on the autism spectrum, spectrum and they haven't found the support that quite fits them yet, I think popping them in touch with this podcast in particular and Layla's work, she has a ton of resources. Her book is incredible. I think that could be really helpful for parents out there. Uh, or if you've just noticed a change in yourself or your kids or your parents, as I said, this is a multi-generational thing to be aware of and pick up on, not because we all want to be neurotic and assume we've all got problems all the time, but because 
being able to identify what heavy metal toxicity looks like is something you will now just know for life and uh, you'll know what to do about it too, which is awesome. So enjoy the show, guys. Hello, Leila. How are you? Hi, I'm great. So nice talking to you again. I am so happy to have you back on the show. I feel like every time we talk, whether it's for one of our courses or for the show, parents just feel so soothed by what you share, the way you share it and the way you help people come up with some very clear things that they can map out in their own lives to improve the health of their children, which is always, of course, um, uh, such a wonderful endeavour. And today we're talking about heavy metals. Um, This is something that confuses a lot of people. Uh, A lot of people are worried about detoxing and reactions and ways to detox and if they even have an issue in the first place, how best to test. So I thought, let's just actually talk about this topic with someone who's seen this in practice over decades and uh, and has had a huge amount of experience with patients uh, of all childhood ages as a paediatrician dealing with heavy metals. So... Um, for people who might not yet have come across your work and they might be listening to us for the first time, uh, I would love for you to just share a little bit about your journey into becoming a paediatrician and an integrative paediatrician, and then we'll uh, dive into today's topic. Uh, yeah, so I became a paediatrician, what, about 25 years ago, And I, from the very beginning, the reason I became interested in working with children was because I thought, you know, a lot of health issues start in childhood. And if you can prevent them, then you actually have a healthier person for the entire life, you know, not just as children, but as adults, you know, you look at the life, the main health issues in adults, you know, um, high blood pressure, cancer, heart disease, um, they're all they actually start in childhood with what we eat, how we live, our lifestyle, what toxins we're exposed to as well. So I specialized in environmental and nutritional medicine. And that, of course, you know, leads you to toxins in the environment. And that's how we connected because yeah. you're in avoiding toxins. And I love that. And Uh, One of the, um, you know, first things that everybody learns in pediatrics is about lead toxicity, because it it used to be actually quite common, because there was lead in petrol, you know, and we learned, and people didn't know about these things, but we learned that when lead was taken out of the petrol, every country that did that, about 10 or 15 years later, they had a real drop in crime, they had um, um, higher IQs in in the people who were growing up, and that's how we... Um, people, researchers figured out that lead was really, really terrible for the brain and especially the growing brain. So there is a lot of experience, a lot of research on lead toxicity. And then from then on came other heavy metals, you know, mercury. And um, so I, um, in my practice, when I see a child who has any kind of developmental delay or behavior issues, I always check for these because we know that lead and mercury in particular can really affect the brain. And um, for example, you know, one of the kind of um, presentations of a child who looks like they have ADHD, but they don't in fact have ADHD, they have lead poisoning. And once you get rid of the lead, they no longer have the issues. They're no longer hyperactive and aggressive and impulsive. And they have a much better memory and can concentrate better. So um, it really overlaps with a lot of the diagnoses that we give children and pediatrics. 
tricks. And I'm always interested in figuring out this, the actual root cause of an issue rather than just, you know, putting a Band-Aid on. And, you know, it's like, I mean, the simple explanation is always, or the simple example is if you have a headache, you can just take a, a Nurofen and you'll feel better for a few hours. But if, in fact, you're dehydrated or you have a sinus infection or you had a concussion, it's not going to fix that. And you need to do something about the actual cause, right? So, and it's the same thing in pediatrics. I feel like, you know, a lot of children I see, whether it is eczema and they're in fact allergic to a food. And once we eliminate the food, they the eczema goes away. Or if they get one infection after another, but in fact, they are vitamin D or zinc deficient. And once you fix the deficiencies, they're in much better health, you know? So that's really my goal in life is to find the underlying causes and then help children start out on a really healthy um, path in life for, um, so that they will grow into healthy adults and happy adults. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So brilliant. And uh, and it just makes so much sense to focus in on the kids because, as you say, you know, if you get it right at the start, then you have much better health outcomes as you grow. And uh, and I'm curious to know, you mentioned, uh, let's start with lead because uh, you've mentioned it a couple of times already and you mentioned petrol and some of the uh, scientific literature that showed a bit of a general population before and after effects of being exposed to petrol often. What are some of the other exposures to lead that we might not be so aware of or might not be so obvious? So nowadays, lead and petrol is not such a problem anymore because lead has been taken out of petrol, luckily. But there's still quite a bit of exposure to lead, especially the um, from old paint, flaking old paint on old houses painted before 1974 when lead paint hadn't been made, um, hadn't been uh, phased out yet. So if you have an old house or a shed in your garden and you have old paint on there or even on the windows or doors, it flakes off into a very fine dust and then settles on the ground. So that could be on an outdoor veranda or in the garden. And then young kids, of course, spend a lot more time close to the, the ground and maybe crawling or playing in the dirt or on the ground. And then they get that fine dust on their hands and they put it in their mouth. And that's how they get exposed to lead. That's the most common exposure um, nowadays in, in our country. And... Uh, the treatment really is to first of all figure out, and that's pretty easy. You can get a lead testing kit uh, from a, a hardware store and just test the old paint. Or you can even send in soil. There is a place in Sydney that tests your soil for free to um, for lead because there's also a lot of places that used to be industrial areas. Yes, like uh, the inner west. I've had some friends you know, want to grow a vegetable garden, they've sent their soil in for testing and then found really high lead levels. Yes, mm. absolutely. So there, um, there's a link and I can give it to you later and you can post it where you can get your soil tested for free. I think that's important. And then um, unfortunately, uh, lead paint is also used sometimes on toys. Um, it's of course illegal, but you know, there's always some that's um, slip through the, cra um, the cracks and they, so we had, for example, recalls of Thomas the Tank engine, um, the little engines uh, that were painted with lead paint or the other toys. So it's, it's not, it's toys that are imported from overseas. 
And so you really, I always say, stick with a few toys. Your child doesn't need 10,000 different toys. You know, get, they always want to play with you kids anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, your pots and pans and your cardboard, yeah. they can cut up and paint and make into a build house, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it so always many- ends up being so basic what they actually love. <laughs> Yeah. yeah so um but that's another one so toys um, I, I recently had a child who had uh lead poisoning and it was an old doll's house from the ground oh, wow. but it was yeah. like 50 years old and you know it was terrible because the parents of course felt very guilty that i let her play with that for years mm. and um, and there's such an emotional beautiful gesture to hand something down through generations but I think we just have to be realistic about what was normal in previous generations. Uh, uh, it shouldn't, it doesn't mean it's uh, good for us, right? Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, that's right. That's true. I think we just have to be aware of the dangers, you know, and of course not every old toy that's handed down has lead paint on it, but you just have to be aware of it. And um so, and how do you find out about it? You know, how do you actually know that your child has lead, pain, lead poisoning? It's through a blood test. And in many countries, um, every child under two at some point gets a blood test to check for lead and for iron. Because if you have um, lead toxicity in those early days, of course, the younger you are, when you are exposed to toxins, the more of an effect it will have on the brain because the brain is developing so rapidly. The first three years are really like the, the most amazing time for brain development. And if anything bad happens, it has an, a worse effect than if it happens when you're 15. And iron deficiency is the same. If you are iron deficient or B12 deficient in the first year of life, you it really will affect your brain development, in, even in the long term. I mean, you can always catch up to some degree. But it's very important to make sure that a child in those first years has enough iron, enough B12 for optimal development and is not exposed to those kind of toxins. And are we doing those tests in Australia? I I don't remember being asked to test my child for iron or lead when he was... It's not routine, unfortunately. But I think any child who comes with an issue, you know, not putting on enough weight in the first year or not developing um, perfectly or, you know, having some delays or being very irritable or something should be tested or look particularly pale, of course. So when I see children, I usually see kids for developmental issues, behavioral issues or immune issues. And since lead can affect all of those, I always add in when I do blood tests, a lead test. And the interesting thing about the blood test results for lead is that the government or the labs reduce what is accepted as normal every few years. Because in fact, what is totally clear, very well known from research, is that the only acceptable level of lead is zero. But since a lot of people have lead, you know, a lot of the the normal ranges on lab tests are really just an average of 100 people for a certain age range. And if everybody is exposed to lead, then obviously the normal will be quite high, but it's not good for the brain. And because there is a real push from the researchers in environmental medicine um, and, and the developmental pediatricians as well and research saying, you know, lead is terrible for the brain. Let's reduce it. So instead of going to zero, it goes every few years, it goes down by half. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, um, so what we have now, I mean, I still see children who are 
in the toxic range, but I would say many, many more children I see who are in the non-considered toxic range, but not the optimal. Yeah, yeah so um, it really some... is key for us to recognize that normal and optimal are not the same thing when it comes to a blood test. Yeah, absolutely. And especially for these toxins, you know, I mean, it is, you know, the people say sometimes or there's a saying that, you know, it's a uh, poison is made by the dose, but that's not true for lead. Lead is always poisonous yeah. and we really need to avoid it um, in as much as we can. And that, you know, is looking at if you're buying a new place or you're moving in somewhere, make sure there's no lead paint. You know, it takes 10 minutes to test with a little lead testing kit and maybe get the water tested you know if you have lead pipes or, i mean actually more commonly people have copper pipes which is not a toxin but if you get too much copper that's also not great for you but you know the the water can contain a lot of different um heavy metals that are not great and um, when i see children we'll talk about testing later but you know sometimes they have like moderate levels of lots of different ones and it's usually in the water then in right the water and, and do some of these good water filters filter out these excessive metals or as you say with lead all because we ideally want zero absolutely so you can get you know i mean i usually recommend um a reverse osmosis water filter which is you know environmentally not the very best because it wastes some water but if you can find a way of capturing that water and then using it for your garden um, then that's fine um, and you know I use it just for the drinking water so you use it for everything so I mean I, of course ideally we should have absolutely clean water everywhere so when you bathe wouldn't that be nice but you know at least if you can um, clean up the drinking water mm. so water filter should go very high on the priority list. So I'll pop a few good ideas for people in the show notes so that you've got access to a few UK, US, Aussie options, guys. Um, and so you mentioned, therefore, uh, exposure in the pipes, potentially exposure in the petrol, exposure in toys, especially old toys handed down, and paint. Those that seem to be the major ones and, and we can just go to the hardware store, whether you're going to a Bunnings here in Australia or a Home Depot over in the States or, you know, whatever your equivalent is, then um, it's, uh, it's so easy. I remember testing our pans years ago and uh, it's just a little stick and you press it and then, you know, it, it, the, the instructions might be different based on the kit and where you get it from. So I'm not going to tell you exactly how it goes just in case, um, but very, very simple, very low cost to rule out some of those major toxicity um, potential exposures. Yeah. So I just wanted to add one more thing is crockery, hand uh, crockery is yeah. a common one. And then um, in some cultures they use that black kayal um, eyeliner in children, and that can be it's coal is called okayal and it's made from lead but it's you know that's kind of phasing out most people use non-toxic ones now but traditionally that used to be in a, um, a common exposure um, yeah so i think the most important thing is to figure out the source and eliminate it mm, absolutely and you mentioned blood testing is the best way to assess someone's lead levels uh, in their system um, a lot of people talk about hair mineral analysis analyses for metals. What's your view on that? 
Yeah, so if you want to find out whether your child is currently exposed to a heavy metal, the blood test is the best way. The blood test, if you do a blood test for, let's say, lead or mercury, you will know whether in the last six or eight weeks your child was exposed. And that's very important information. Because if, it is, if that is, there is an exposure, you need to eliminate it. Um, the other tests that, so it doesn't tell you though, if you were exposed a year ago and are no longer exposed, but obviously, you know, if you have been exposed to a lot of lead a year ago, there may still be some in your bones or, you know, it binds to calcium. So it could be um, stored in your body and um, there could be a small amount that could be released um, into, the, into the bloodstream, but that doesn't show up on those blood tests. Um, and that's why people sometimes use other testing like hair mineral analysis or urine tests to see what is the actual body burden of the heavy metals. And um, there are, you know, lots of things to consider there. So you mentioned the hair mineral analysis where you just take some hair and it gives you kind of an, um, an indication of what came out of your body, what was excreted into your hair over the last three months. And that must not, it can be old, old exposure, just slowly excreting it. It could be acute exposure if you, you know, and, and getting rid of it. The caveat with hair mineral analysis is that if you're not good at detoxing, it may not show up in your hair. And the children we are most concerned about um, in terms of heavy metal toxicity are kids on the spectrum. And children on the autism spectrum are, not all of them, of course, you can never make a global statement by children on the spectrum because every single one is different, but in general, they are not the best detoxifiers through some genetic mutations and, you know, often not being able to make a molecule called glutathione very efficiently. We'll talk about that later, how you can help that. And also, um, not doing something called sulfation very well. And these are, um, pathways needed that you do in your body to get rid of toxins so if you don't do that well you're not excreting the toxins you hold on to them they stick to you like a little magnet and that one of the you know at first when people did research on autism and and heavy metals they said oh we're going to collect the first baby teeth that came out and we will find all those heavy metals in there and we'll see you know we'll prove that kids on the spectrum are exposed to more heavy metals and they found nothing and the reason was just like in the hair as well these children don't excrete the toxins and um so we now the so the hair mineral analysis therefore is really kind of limited you know it gives you it gives you some information and if there's huge amounts coming out well the question though for me though is if there is a lot coming out, maybe you're just such a great detoxifier that you don't need any extra help. But obviously, there is an exposure that you need to stop, right? Um, but um, it's not 100% reliable. Another test, um, so I find the most reliable is the blood test for the current exposure. And then there is a urine test called a porphyrin test that shows you kind of the body's burden of heavy metals. It's a very indirect test. It measures different types of porphyrins with the breakdown products from heme, from red blood cells. And they, the pattern can tell you whether the child has a large burden of, for example, mercury or, or lead or other heavy metals. Um, it's, it's a bit complicated, but it's very, very useful. And uh, the, the, 
last test that a lot of people use, I mean, there's lots of testing people use. People also use feces tests, you know, and I think, well, that can be interesting. But again, it just shows you what's coming out. It doesn't mean whether it's current exposure, old exposure. But um, the other interesting one is the urine test where you do a provocation. So you take a urine test and just see what's coming out. So that's the current exposure. Let's say there's a, um, a bit of lead coming out and you know that right now this child is getting some lead because it's coming out today in the urine. And then you give a dose of some kind of chelating agent that actually pulls heavy metals out of the system into the urine. And you measure then again and you look at the difference. So if then a huge amount of, let's say, mercury comes out that didn't come out in the first one, you know that it's not current exposure, but there is mercury going around in the system and it's coming out when you help it. Now, we are really moving away from chelation in children. I, I don't think many pediatricians do that anymore, unless it's a very acute toxicity. Yeah, If a child comes with really severe lead toxicity to the hospital, they will get chelated. Yeah, like they've been poisoned very specifically. So, yeah, Really poisoned. But um, if that's not the case, then it is just a little bit harsh on the system. Mm -hmm. And you never know how much is going to be redistributed around the body, you know, and how much actually is going to be redistributed to the brain. So it's, it, people are becoming much more careful about that. And I think the treatment now looks much more at helping the body to detoxify in its natural ways. Mm. So maybe we talk about mercury now at this stage and look at symptomology and, and again, best forms of testing and then move into detoxification because I'd imagine there'd be some overlap there, right? Yeah, great. I love talking about mercury. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> so mercury is another really terrible toxin, heavy metal that affects the brain. And if you think of the mad hatter in Alice in Wonderland, he had mercury toxicity because the, the hatters were making felt hats. And in order to make felt, they were using mercury. Wow. And they went crazy, right? Um, and um, so the very hyperactive, often quite, um, yeah, wild <laughs> mm. behavior can be mercury. And of course, you know, all of these heavy metals drop, uh, lead to a drop in IQ and cognition. So... Um, mercury exposure comes nowadays mainly from two sources. One is if you live downwind from a coal power plant that doesn't have really good filter systems installed. And when I lived in New Zealand, um, there was one town, Huntley, where they had a big coal power plant. And all the patients I had who lived downwind from there had high mercury levels. Wow. And the interesting thing at the time was that, you know, the the normal range for mercury was um, in their lab was like something like zero to 15. And then when people started testing for mercury and found that all these kids had a 20, 25, 30, the level was just increased. The normal all of a sudden was 25. And because that was the norm, but it doesn't make it the optimal. Well, it was that, but it was also that, you know, kind of closing your eyes to a problem and saying, yeah. oh, there's no problem. You know, we just change <laughs> our criteria. And then the kids went up to 40 and 50 and, and then the labs changed it to above 50. But we do know that even a level of 10 or 15 is really bad for your brain. So, um, and the other big exposure, which I think is much more um, universal is fish. So fish consumption, um, the fish we eat from the ocean has all the 
toxins that we're dumping in the ocean, which is absolutely everything, right? Every toxin that we produce in, the, um, in our world nowadays, in the end, ends up in the ocean. And fatty fish accumulate fat-soluble toxins, and that includes mercury. So the larger the fish, the more toxins are in there because of, um, you know, the small fish are eaten by the larger fish and then the even larger fish eat those fish. And in, as you go up the food chain, the toxicities get become more and more concentrated. So if you look at a whale, or um, they have huge amounts of um, fat-soluble poisons or toxins in them, including mercury. And that's why you should never, ever, I mean, there are many other reasons why, but <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> um, but um, even, you know, so other large fish like um, swordfish and catfish and tuna, you know, they're pretty large and they have high levels of mercury. So, um, and it's not just the mercury. The mercury is kind of like a marker for the, you know, all the other fat soluble toxins, uh, DPVs and dioxin even, you know, yeah, toxins so. that have been banned for many, many years, but are still in the ocean. They're not going to go away because we ban them. So um, the, I mean, my recommendation is not to eat fish. I really, I'm very strong about that because first of all, we're emptying the oceans. There won't be any more fish soon if we continue what we're doing, you know, trawling and just everything in the ecosystem to get some fish. Um, and instead taking algae oil, you know, the, the main health benefit from fish is that it gives you omega-3 fatty acids, which are very good for your brain and for your heart and, you know, general health. But you can get the same thing from algae. And that's in fact where the fish get it from. The fish eat algae, so the very small fish, and that's how it go gets into the food chain. And you can go straight to the source and get algae and the algae oil is actually produced organically in you know it's not produced in a polluted sea or ocean but in vats that are um, clean and um, free of toxins and you actually even take out co2 from the um from the atmosphere by yeah, because, yeah exactly doing something good for the environment <laughs> yeah absolutely so, and are you talking about a, a specific brand are you talking about nordic naturals here when you're talking about this or are there a couple of uh, options that you like to recommend yeah so i myself take the new iq brand and i'll uh -huh. give you the link yeah. to that uh, it's, I think, very good. And it was one of the first ones that was on the market. So I like to support them. But a lot of other companies are coming out now. And the nice thing about algae oil is that you don't have to be so careful about choosing the right brand because um, it doesn't have to be molecularly distilled to take the mercury out and all the other toxins. So mm. algae oil is clean. And it's a less intensive process then too. Much less intensive. So it's mm. much more natural. You want to choose one that doesn't have a lot of additives. So you can now get liquid algae oil as well, not in capsules. And obviously they add then, you know, flavors and preservatives. So you want to look at the ingredients, but that's why I like the new IQ. I think that's a really nice one. It's small capsules. You can pierce them open if for children who can't swallow them. And uh, yeah, very, very good product. Now, um, I just wanted to quickly say as a little pearl, so one of the signs that your child may be low in omega-3s, if, um, if you touch their upper arms, the upper outer arms, if that feels very dry like sandpaper, 
or they have a lot of little bumps up there, that's a sign that they are low in omega-3 and you really need to give them some because it's so important for brain development. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my son takes uh, omega-3s every day on your direction, Leila. So, and it was funny, I, he, I had, um, he had been doing really well to take his own vitamins in the morning. So I thought, oh, I'm just going to not, you know, make sure he does because he seems to be onto it. And then a couple of weeks later, I noticed he, the backs of his arms were bumpy. I'm like, are you remembering to do your um your omega-3s like in your little morning routine he's like no because I always spill it out of the spoon <laughs> it's just like ah ah so that one I do for him and um and we're back on track but yeah it really does make a huge difference mm. Mm. yeah it's the number one supplement recommended for by pediatricians for children with any issues with focus and concentration or learning mm. yeah, there's so much research to show that it helps yeah. And so with mercury, you mentioned that mad hatter example. So what are we seeing in kids then? Is that overexcitability kind of going off the rails, unable to just kind of be in the here and now? What are some of the other signs maybe that yeah. might be a little bit more subtle? So I think hyperactivity is a common one. Uh, and I mean, I any issues with learning, I check Mercury and I find very often, but the opposition and defiant children as well, you know, who get angry very easily and explode easily. I think that's quite typical for Mercury. I had, um, you know, I've, I had a child um, in my practice who had a di diagnosis of autism. And the, when we did the blood testing, it turned out that the Mercury was sky high and it came from the... Uh, the fish soup that they were eating every day oh, wow. and they were going to the market to buy fish but they actually they thought they were buying one type of fish but they weren't they were getting you know pieces small pieces of very large fish and the larger the fish the more mercury um, and this child once the mercury came down you know so we you know obviously stopped the fish soup and we tested the rest I tested the rest of the family they all had high mercury but the parents didn't have the same symptoms because their brains were already fully developed but of course, you have to think about what's going to happen to them when they get older. You know, all those heavy metals can contribute to neurodegeneration, so like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's and, you know, all the dementia, the things we worry about in old age. So they were quite happy that we found out that. <laughs> yeah, of course. It's a preventative strategy for old age. Yeah, but this child, you know, was it took a while, it took a year to get the mercury levels down to nothing. And he is amazing. You know, there's no more trace of autism and there is no more trace of hyperactivity or learning problems. He's super smart and great and making friends and just totally neurotypical. So I think it's really important when you see children with any kind of neurological or developmental issues to try and figure out this core, the source because often you can. And when you treat it, everything improves. I mean, nobody has health issues for nothing. It's never just bad luck, you know, or totally genetic. I mean, when... Um, when you look at, of course, everybody's different genetically, but it, it always means the genes don't immediately say, you know, developmental delay. It, it, there are several steps in between. So like the gene may not working so well for detoxification and therefore this child is more prone to having developmental issues when they're exposed to toxins. Or, you know, they may not be methylating as well because they have some genetic variation 
which means that you're you know not creating new cells as easily or something but all of that can be helped yeah and uh so with mercury really the number one thing is to be aware of it when i examine children i look at their fingers and i look at the so i have them you know spread out their fingers i'm and doing I it now too <laughs> so often the last little segment of the fingers the ones you know when you look on the inside of the hand the last segment the one where you have your fingernails on the outside is very pink if that is much pinker than the rest of the fingers that can be a sign of heavy metal toxicity right those kids i'm definitely going to check for lead and mercury because lead and mercury i would say are the most common ones yeah so if you just eliminate those two you already have done a good job. I mean, there are other ones that are that we talk about, you know, like, I mean, there's been arsenic went around for a while because of um, arsenic and rice. And, um, you know, the countries like Bangladesh, that's where it was figured out that um, there was very high levels of arsenic in rice because they were um, drilling boreholes for water and the, the, the water was very high in arsenic. And wow. The rice and then people got arsenic poisoning. So is there where's the best place to buy rice from in terms of the origin country? Well, I think Australia is pretty good. Yeah, okay. So if you're in Australia. Um and I uh I always recommend with rice that you soak it. For, I think best rice to buy is brown organic. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Brain. Um, the brown rice is not necessarily lower in, in arsenic, but it's so much healthier in every other way that it undoes that issue. But you soak it just like you would soak legumes. So for a few hours or even overnight, and then you throw out the water. So that will get rid of some of it. And then you cook it just like pasta. So you put a lot of water and not just a little bit to that, it, you know, and then in the end you have to drain it. Yeah, that gotcha. more of it. So, so you're not a fan of the absorption method because then all of the things that get released from the grain come back into the grain through exactly. absorption. Yeah. Okay. So we want lots of water, drain it off, then eat. And then you want to have um, a varied diet. You know, don't eat rice seven times a week. <laughs> There's so many other, I mean, a lot of people who, you know, try to avoid gluten, for example, they just eat rice every day, but there are so many others, as you know, you know, you can have sweet potato, you can, as your carb, or you can have quinoa or millet or. I love millet. You know, there's so many others. So just, just um, mix it up so that you overall decrease your exposure and, and have your diet as organic as possible because that will definitely reduce toxicity. Mm. And so there are obviously a lot of metals and um, and people think, oh, so lead and mercury, I've got to worry about those. Are there any others that I need to worry about? I read a blog or I saw something on a health summit. And, and what is your view on how detailed we need to be into looking at metals? Yeah, I mean, it really depends on how healthy you are, I guess, you know, but I mean, if you have absolutely no issues and your child is completely well and has no symptoms or signs of any heavy metal toxicity, then I think just checking for lead and mercury would be the most important. I have checked a lot of children's blood for arsenic because, you know, when we, a few years ago, there was a lot of talk about arsenic, or there still is, and I've actually never, ever had a child who had a toxic range of it even children who are gluten-free and eating a lot of rice. So it's measurable sometimes, but it's has never as high as what I find for lead and mercury. 
So the other ones that are quite common, so like if you do, you know, a more um, comprehensive analysis, um, and even though I don't usually order hair tests, patient, patients come to me with their hair tests already done. Um, the ones that we often find are cadmium um, and then aluminium and tin and nickel. So tin and nickel and um, aluminium can often come from cooking pots. So if you get that um, combination, you want to really look at your, uh, your pots and maybe get a new set that is you know, uh, healthy. So even stainless steel, if you've used them for 10 or 15 years, um, they do have lots of different metals in them. So they can you know, wear off and then release some of those things into the food. Um, I like um, cast iron because if you release iron into the food, that's actually a good thing. <laughs> you know, a little bit of iron is beneficial for most people. So um, cadmium is, uh, can be from batteries. So if a child is chewing on batteries, that's obviously a terrible thing and they'll have very high cadmium, but most parents don't let their kids chew on batteries. <laughs> Okay. Good, good plan, so parents. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's usually from um, water. Okay. So the the our drinking water is contaminated. It's just not a hundred percent clean. And you know, studies have shown that you even have things like um, you know hormones in there, and um, heavy metals and medications like you know anti. Depressants. I mean, of course, small, small, small amounts, but you can measure it in the water. So I think that idea of having a reverse osmosis water filter is a really good one. Yeah, to get sounds like it's a great. And then you want to remineralize it. So, mm. you know, the good systems have a remineralization and alkalinization. So you get really, really nice water without having to buy water in bottles. Yeah, absolutely. Because you definitely want to avoid that environmental aspect of um, the old single use bottled water days. Um, yeah, so so it sounds like uh, it's a good time to start talking about detoxification because uh, there are obviously different ways to go about that. There's a bioindividuality component based on a patient's uh, particular situation as well. Uh, so this is definitely not a one-size-fits-all approach. Um, but what are some of the things that we can look at or that you've used in practice that have been really effective and um, gentle enough for kids as well. As you mentioned, chelation is not always the way to go. Yeah, so I think the first thing really is to uh, improve the lifestyle. Avoid the exposures. Uh, you know, avoid pesticides in the house because they all can also contain heavy metals apart from the other toxins they have. And, and then... Um, uh, support the body's way of detoxing. And how does a body detoxify? I mean, there are many different ways, but one thing is zinc. We, you know, if you have enough zinc, you, you need four molecules of zinc to grab one molecule of a heavy metal or a toxin to then excrete it. So if you're already low in zinc because the food you eat is grown on soils that are low in zinc. I literally just checked my fingernails for white marks. I'm like, <laughs> nope, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> you must be taking your zinc. Yeah. So yeah. That's one, one way of figuring out whether you're low on zinc is if you have tiny little white spots on your fingernails. And many, many people do. And, you know, I have, uh, you know, often the moms tell me, I've always had those. I said, well, you've always been low on zinc then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This things as well, but zinc is the most common one. 
Um, and so, and that's one of the reasons also why kids who have a lot of heavy metals may be so irritable because low zinc makes you more irritable and more easily frustrated. Sure does, so you, which also oh, feeds into fussy eating, doesn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, so, really you know, so you need zinc for your taste buds to work well. You need zinc for your detoxification, for brain processing, for your immune system. So the kids who get sick a lot as well with lots of colds and ear infections and so on, or mouth ulcers, always check zinc. So, um, so zinc is really, really important. And if, um, you know, in Australia, for example, our soils are very low in zinc, so we're not going to get a lot of zinc from our diet, even if it's a healthy diet. So you may have to, especially while you're growing, because when you're growing, you need more zinc, you may have to take a supplement. And um, any pharmacy here, I mean, it's, it's actually interesting, you know, when I grew up, in Germany, I'd never heard of a zinc supplement. And here in Australia, every pharmacy has zinc supplements. So it tells you something. People it does. It, right? But not all zinc has been, and not all zinc supplements are created equal, right? There are forms that are more bioavailable than others. That's true. Um, but there are many, many different ways of taking zinc. You know, you can take drops, zinc citrate, zinc picolinate. I mean, there are lots of different ones that work well. Even zinc creams. I mean, not the ones that you use for sunscreen. There's a zinc obviously it's not going to be absorbed that's the idea you make a layer on your skin that the sun can't get through but if for kids who are super super difficult to get supplements into you can get a transdermal cream that has zinc in it that gets absorbed into the body um, the people always ask what are the foods that are high in zinc here and the one is really oysters that's the one food that's high in zinc and it oysters are also often contaminated with salmonella so not a great food for children and most kids don't like them anyway so i think it's if you i mean whole grains should be high in zinc but as i said if the soil is low in zinc and there's no um the farmers don't actually add zinc to the soil then the grain itself won't have a lot of zinc so um zinc is also given to animals so the animals that are raised for meat because the farmers know that the animals will not do well they, they'll get sick if they don't have enough zinc but once again you know you're taking the supplement via another animal so you may as well just take the supplement itself <laughs> yeah absolutely and um but key i think is to at least check in with a practitioner or a qualified practitioner at a health food store at the very least, um, because dosage matters with zinc. And if you don't need it and you take too much of it, or if you take too much of it and you just need a little, um, then that can have negative consequences over time, right? Absolutely. So you, I mean, the, the recommended dose for children that just as a maintenance is five milligrams. So, you know, you can get drops and just take five drops a day. So that would be very safe. Not going to overdose on that but some children who are very low in zinc and you can do a blood test for that if they are really low in zinc they may need a higher dose so for example the children who are very easily frustrated who have um, skin that never heals you know they have lots of sores on their legs and for mosquito bites and it's not that they have 20 bites at once it's just that the first bite from three weeks ago still is that was that healed. was me you are literally describing my childhood Mm, yeah. And I used to get cracks in the sides of my lips and behind my ears. I just wish I could reach back and say, uh, why don't you just take a zinc tablet once a day? 
Yeah, I mean, it was my oldest son as well, Ilan. You know, he had those sores on his legs. He was very irritable and easily frustrated. And I had no idea until I learned about zinc. And, you know, within giving him zinc, within four weeks, the skin healed completely after it had been, you know, not healed for 18 months. And he became much happier. So zinc is really uh, very, very important for your health. Um, but, you know, get a blood test if you're, if you're worried that the zinc is really low. And if you think that the child needs a higher dose than just your maintenance dose. And so one of the, the negative effects if you take too much zinc is that your copper drops too much. So the copper and zinc go a bit like a seesaw. So if you have low zinc, you usually have high copper. And the low zinc makes you easily frustrated and the high copper makes you explosive. So that's that oppositional and defiant explosive child, you know, and- if Or adult, <laughs> really. That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and then when you give zinc, the zinc comes up, the copper comes down. But if you give too much zinc, then the copper can go down too low and you can get copper deficiency, which is like an anemia. And you became kind of listless and tired. So you want to check both of them. Every few months, if you're giving zinc supplements, you want to, you know, every three or four months, maybe until you know that you don't need it anymore. Um, uh, and if you take too much zinc, you often get nauseated. So that's a sign definitely to stop the zinc, zinc supplement. Mm. Um, so apart from zinc, for helping to support the body's own detoxification, you know, one thing is, of course, lifestyle, you know, enough sleep. The brain actually cleans itself, detoxes during sleep. It goes, you know, there are specialized cells that, that clean up the brain of toxins, and it can only be done while we sleep. Exercise, because we sweat during exercise, and every time we sweat, we get rid of some toxins. And healthy nutrition, you know, especially cruciferous vegetables, you know, that are high in sulfur, that helps you kind of kickstart um, some metabolic pathways that help you produce more um, glutathione. And glutathione is a really important um, uh, molecule in the body. It's the body's most important antioxidant and detoxification molecule. So if you have a really good setup from your genes and you live in a healthy environment, you will get rid of all your toxins every day. But if you're exposed to a lot of toxins and maybe have a few genes that don't work 100%, we all have these you know, genes, uh, mutations or changes that just don't work 100%, you may just accumulate the toxins. And then there are things you can do to help produce more glutathione. And that's really my favorite way of helping to detoxify um, in, um, in kids. So one of the easiest way is to uh, eat broccoli sprouts. Broccoli sprouts are high in sulforaphane and sulforaphane um, makes glutathione. In, there's very nice research on sulforaphane in kids on the spectrum and especially the children on the spectrum who are much better when they have a fever. So there are some children, when they have a fever, they're much clearer, they're maybe even more verbal, they're much calmer. And um, those are the children who respond the best to taking sulforaphane. Right. That's so and fascinating. Isn't it? Hmm. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. There is actually a professor from 
I think it was Yale University, who was a biochemist and um, was doing research. And he retired as a professor, and now he produces sulforaphane supplements. <laughs> and I mean, so does research <laughs> as well on it. But it's, yeah. that's become his, um, his calling in life because he's seen how many kids respond well to that. Mm. Can I ask then on, on that tip, because I, I know just from speaking to various people in the community over the years, some people find that they eat broccoli or broccoli sprouts and they get really gassy. Is there a reason that happens that you know about or a, a way we can um, reduce that gas? Is it something to do with cruciferous veggies maybe on the whole and they've just sort of recognised it more because sprouts are more potent? So my view on gas is always if you produce gas, then you have bacteria in the gut that are using whatever you're eating to produce more gas. Mm -hmm. That's not a great gut flora. So okay. you want bacteria who are really good at breaking down the food you're eating. Yeah. And the more of the food, if you eat a lot of a food, you produce more of those bacteria in the gut that thrive on that food. So if you eat a lot of broccoli, you will grow a gut flora that is good at using up broccoli. If you're just starting it and you haven't used it a lot, then you don't have those bacteria yet because maybe you were eating a lot more sugar, you know, so you had more food, more bacteria in the gut that thrive on sugar and they produce much more gas when they cook something like broccoli. So that would be my explanation. So I think it usually goes away. I mean, if you have to, you can use an enzyme up you break it down but over time that usually resolves the the thing that doesn't necessarily resolve is the smell so some people you know when you eat asparagus or something they have a kind of uh, specific smell in their urine mm. and that's kind of breakdown products from that sulfur yeah mm -hmm. so that's not a bad thing oh okay cool great and so with broccoli so you can sprout yourself if you want you know you yeah. can um, it's like the, the new hobby now in lockdown. I know, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> sprouting, sourdough sprouting, everyone's culturing everything. <laughs> so eat the broccoli sprout, even eat the broccoli, it's better than nothing. The sprout has more sulforaphane though um, per gram. And then other ways that are not quite as natural but still work to get more glutathione is one is N-acetylcysteine. It's a, um, it's a supplement that has been used for many, many years in Europe, um, NAC is for short. Um, it has a lot of research behind it for breaking down mucus. So when people have a cold, often they use it. I mean, in, in Germany, it's one of the things, if you go to a pharmacy, I say have a cold, they give you a NAC. Wow. Mucus and you get over it faster also, you know, but the big thing it does, it also detoxifies. So it helps you make glutathione. There's nice research on NAC with autism that it really works to help children um, uh, develop, you know, making gains and being calmer and happier. Um, and then the next step would be to just take some glutathione. The thing with glutathione is it has a very short half-life. So if you take glutathione by mouse, even if it's liposomal, it only has like a half hour, half-life. Um, half so within half an hour, half of it is already gone. And after an hour, it's only a quarter left. And after two hours, there's nothing left. So if you take a precursor like N-acetylcysteine, you have a much more sustained effect. On the other hand, you can get little skin patches of glutathione and they last 12 or 24 hours because they're slow release. So for kids ah, who are very, like a good option. with autism who has a lot of toxicities and doesn't want to take supplements, so skin patches are actually amazing. 
sure. Um, then other ways of helping with, um, with this toxification, I already mentioned exercise. Exercise being good because it helps you to sweat, but also other ways of sweating. So for example, sauna. You know, far infrared saunas, I love them. And, and many kids like them. The far infrared saunas, the advantage is they don't get as hot as a traditional sauna. So it's much more bearable, but you still sweat a lot. And every drop of sweat that comes out has some toxins in it. You can measure that. And the more you do it, the, the more you get rid of the toxins. So the uh, important thing to remember is to hydrate, rehydrate really well afterwards, because obviously, you're going to lose a lot of, of fluids and also to put back in the, the good electrolytes and minerals like zinc because you will also lose some of the the minerals that you need in that sweat you know sodium and potassium and magnesium and zinc so you want to make sure that you re rehydrate and remineralize afterwards and start low you know if you're going if you have a friend or a friend for it who has a sauna or you have one in the neighborhood that you can your children, you know, make them comfortable in there. Start with five minutes and then slowly go up. Don't expect them to spend half an hour in there. Hundred percent. I know this from um, when I first needed to start detoxifying from mold. When I was at my absolute worst with sirs, I thought, you know, sauna more is more, right? No, <laughs> because more because my electrolytes were so off kilter. My I was so depleted. My homeostasis did not exist at the time any kind of uh, sauna for more than five minutes caused crazy palpitations. It's like my body was like, no, don't take more away from me. <laughs> I need that potassium. And so it would freak out and I couldn't figure what it was for a couple of months. But the minute I started drinking, sipping on a good quality, I used Ben Lynch's Seeking Health electrolyte powder. Um, and uh, I was just sipping on that during my sauna. And I had all of a sudden the benefits of the sauna without the side effects of what's taken away from sweat. And um, it was, uh, it was fantastic. It's been one of my favorite therapies ever since. That's great. Yes. Mm. I agree. Yeah. So um, can I just come back to glutathione? Cause I'm, I have heard some people find they have a negative reaction with glutathione. And I guess it brings me to another question about detoxification that's a bit more general. How do you know when the particular protocol or method you're using or exploring in detoxifying some of these uh, metals is perhaps not the right one for you or not right for that stage of detoxification? Is it a bit of a go very gentle and see uh, game detoxifying, do you find? Yeah, I think it's always, we should always be gentle. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know what humans are like. We're like, let's just jump in there and do everything and whoops, too much. They're terrible at yeah. that. Yeah. It, it is really, it's always, you know, slow but steady works better than, I mean, unless you have an acute poisoning, then obviously you have to be quick. But otherwise, I think slow and steady is working better. Um, so with glutathione, I would say the main side effects, if you take it orally, you can get abdominal cramps, you can get bloating, you can get, you know, allergic reactions, obviously. But if it is, if you are taking it, um, let's say, transdermally, or you're taking the N-acetylcysteine and you have a negative reaction, it may be that you're taking too much and you have so many toxins in your body that they're kind of flooding your system. 
and um, then you know always start low with everything anything you start new just start with a sprinkle and slowly increase it till you get to the dose that is either recommended by your health practitioner or that you feel that is best for you or for your child and um, it may take two or three weeks to get there and that's fine um, and then think about that when you're detoxing so let's say you have a lot of lead in your system and you're taking something to you know, let's say you take some N-acetylcysteine to, to get that lead out. If some of that lead is already in your bones, you're actually pulling it out of the bones. It goes back into the bloodstream. It can temporarily increase your, your level in your blood. And you want to make sure that it goes out and doesn't get reabsorbed. So there's something, um, there is like a recirculation between the gut and the blood. So anything you have in your gut can be reabsorbed into the bloodstream and then go round and round. So taking something like a binder, something that will bind the toxins in the gut so that you or your child can pull them out and they're gone rather than being reabsorbed is really helpful. And the binder can be something really simple like citrus pectin. Um, or some kind of clay like Toxa Prevent is a good one. I mean, there are lots of different ones. Entros gel is a silica gel that <clears throat> has no taste and you just take it on a teaspoon and you it binds those toxins as well. So lots of different ones. Um, but that's a really good idea, especially early on when you're starting with the detoxification. Mm -hmm. Yeah, brilliant. So much fantastic advice, uh, as always, uh, Leila. I want to thank you for your time. I feel like I understand metals better as well. Uh, to be able to direct people from the community to this interview is going to be uh, really, really helpful for many families. And, you know, as you were talking, something that became clearer and clearer with a couple of side mentions you gave was, yes, this is focused on children. But if you're in your middle age with a fully developed brain, but you don't tend to get as reactive to any metal exposures, it's still important to keep in check because as an adult, you're in preventative health strategies for your old age, which is also an incredibly important um, endeavor to stay as healthy as we can for as long as we can. So, um, so that I found that really useful to remind us why it's important as adults to consider these things as well. Great, thank you. Thank you so much and no doubt we will speak very soon. <laughs> Bye. thank you so much for listening to today's show i hope you enjoyed it as much as i enjoy having these conversations and bringing them to you now where can you find me and lotox life from here on in well you've obviously got lotoxlife.com and there we have everything beautifully organized into food home body and mind topics as well as kids and a whole bunch of free downloadables and resources to help you inspire you to take community action uh, and uh, there's amazing A to Z recipes there if you're ever getting a little bit uh, stale in the kitchen and a whole bunch of articles that I've written over the past nine years of writing a blog. You can also find me on Instagram at Lotox Life and also on Facebook by a page the same name. I make everything super easy, Lotox Life, so you can find it really, really simply. Thank you so much to everybody who leaves a five-star review over on Stitcher or iTunes or wherever it is that you tune into the show. And also to let you know that you can join us on Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com 
forward slash Lotox Life and come join the private Lotox Life Club. In there, over time, more and more cool stuff is about to be added and I can't wait to see where that community takes us. It's a place where we can continue the conversations, chat about the weekly show, you're going to get bonus uh, Q&A and all sorts of things over time. I explain everything over on Patreon, so I encourage you to check that out. And in the meantime, I'll see you next week. Today